If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to RASC's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. Daniel, welcome back to the show, mate. Thank you for having me. And Jordan, always a pleasure, mate. Likewise. Here on the Australian Business Podcast, we talk about all different types of businesses and how you can scale your business, how you can make more money, hopefully with incrementally less effort. And that's the kind of, I guess, ideal that we're going for. But a lot of times we throw around some words like scale. And a lot of business owners don't know what that means. Like, what does scale mean? And the other thing that they don't understand, which I don't blame them because it can get really confusing, is this idea of working capital. So, dear listener, we've got the big guns in here from Gray Space Advisory. These guys are going to break down both of those things. I understand why it's confusing because every single business, those two words mean completely different things. Yeah, true. They do, don't they? Yeah. It is not one rule fits all. It, we can't follow the same processes, the same operations, the same thinking as your next door neighbor. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Each business has its own separate needs. Mm. So that's why it's really important to have an advisor of some sort, whether it's a mentor or accountant, to help you with this process so they can see what your needs are and you can work it out together. You Mm. can't just Google it because if you Google it, it gives you a really basic explanation, especially, for example, something like working capital. All it says on Google is capital that business needs for its day-to-day trading operations. And they'll calculate it as current assets less current liabilities. <laughs> that means nothing to a business owner. <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> yeah. But it does. That's what we got taught. Like, so in the chartered financial analyst exams, that's what you still get taught. And that is such a basic way to think about this. Even if then, so just to unpack some of that jargon, what they're basically saying is that you use your balance sheet, like the assets of the company, to calculate what you need to spend. But that's over a year, typically, when we look at it on the stock market. And that means nothing. Like, I couldn't imagine the last... I don't know if anyone, other than maybe you guys, a business owner has ever gone into zero and gone, oh, my balance sheet. Oh, working capital. Oh, look at that. I'll take current assets and money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're no accountants. One. We still don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so let's start with one thing. We'll start with working capital. Who wants to try and define it? Then, if that's Google's definition... I'm happy to sort of touch base on it. We go into a little bit more depth here. Working capital for us is depending on the business, depending on the client, who it is. We like to have, call it two or three months worth of expenses or your operating expenses, fixed expenses, ready to go. 
sitting in an account just all the time. Just cash sitting in the account. That's not including the GST account or your savings accounts or any other savings you're doing. That is money that you need to trade day to day with no expansion, no investment. And that's a really good starting point because it's hard, you know, when you're trying to sort of do both at once, it can be a double-edged sword because you're outlaying money to scale, which we'll get into, yeah. but you're, you're outlaying money to scale, but you're trying to build that second account. So you've got enough working capital, whether it's three months, five months or six months. Yeah, It's a really fine line. But again, really important to do that at the start so there is that safety net if something was to go wrong. And yeah. this is an ever-changing number as well yeah. because when you first start, your, you know, your outgoings might be 5000 a month. Then you take someone on. It goes yeah. to 10000 a month. Yeah. You get a new machine with repayments. That goes to 15000 a month. So it's an ever-changing number. You can't work it out at the start of the year and expect that number to be the same 12 months later. Mm. Every employee. That's right. Yeah. Every subscription, like a lot of the subscriptions, like as a digital business, the one that I run, like we've got to pay for editing. So like people to do editing, we've got to pay for the software that we do some other editing through. We've got to pay for like our emails, for our website. These all charge like per subscriber or per minute or per this. And so that is always on the up. So just for our business to operate, it's kind of like a rising sea level. It just constantly gets higher and higher and higher. Yeah. And then put yourself in a position where for whatever reason, a client doesn't pay you, issues with vendors, one of your biggest suppliers just goes, hey, we've got no more money. We can't transfer your money until next month. Mm. What are you going to do then? Yeah, that's particularly prevalent in building and that sort of that construction industry, right? Any project type work, thing, not just building construction, anyone that gets paid large sums on a project basis. So even like media, some of the creative agencies, if they're doing a project for someone, it might be a month yeah. before they get paid. It's one large invoice. And that's the thing with payment terms as well. We're actually one of the worst countries in the world in terms of paying for services that we're receiving, like trading terms being like 30 days, 60 days. Like mm. you look at other countries in the world and that's just unheard of. Whereas here, yeah. it's the norm with some industries. So that's why it's really important to have that capital there that if one of these was to, to come up, it's not going to force you to close up shop. Mm-hmm. Really important. That's an interesting um, point that you bring up. A lot of people don't understand that. I spent a bit of time in our free business course, which is um, in the links in the show notes talking about the importance of this, like the payment terms. So just to be clear, what we're talking about here is if you send an invoice to someone, you typically say something like, please pay within seven days or please pay within 14 days or something like that. But a lot of the times, the other party that receives that can can actually screw you over or they can just forget or they can, like I've heard of it where the other party knows that you're vulnerable. So they withhold paying and withhold paying, withhold paying, withhold paying. That's why we have this whole industry around invoice financing, where you can try and get another company <laughs> to give you the money up front, but they'll take a huge chunk of it when it actually gets paid. Yeah. And this, it gave rise to this whole other industry. But I didn't know the context. I didn't realize overseas it's much better. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's where, again, zero free plug is good. <laughs> <laughs> because you can you can um, set up automatic invoice reminders. So like back to your point, yeah. some people do just forget. Whereas if you can set up zero and it's automatically sending out an uh, email reminder after a week or after two yeah. weeks where it's overdue. Like we've seen that really improve cash flow for businesses. Another thing we see improve cash going a bit off topic, but that's right. Where um, you can set up direct debits. Yeah. So like an automatic payment term. So we had a, uh, there, there's a client of ours where, you know, they were issuing heaps of invoices for like maybe a thousand dollars or $2,000. And it just gets really hard to track, you know, when you're sending out a hundred invoices a week. Which one's which? Yeah, exactly. So something that we suggested to do is, well, why don't you, when you sign an engagement with a, with a new client, is just get them on that direct debit. So 
you're eliminating anyone forgetting, anyone not wanting to pay you. Like yeah. that in itself, when your business is so dependent on cash flow, like that can squash you very quick. Absolutely. And it's probably one of the most avoided phone calls is, hey, you haven't paid my invoice. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Ugly phone call to make. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I imagine you guys make a lot of them because the clients don't do it. No? We identified this from the start and all of our engagements with our business clients are on a monthly reoccurring. Yeah, it's oh, a subscription right. basis. Yeah, so it helps but What us. about do clients get you to step in for them ever and say, no? I wouldn't do it. No. I don't, no. Want, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get anxious doing yeah, that. Yeah. We're accountants, not debt collectors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I struggle with that. So I just do the old invoice like, oh, just so you know, just pumping this up. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, following up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the thing to do there too is um, you mentioned like recurring invoices. for it. So for our business, we have um, like long-term sponsors. I try and I tell you guys, trying to get them on like yearly sponsorship so it's more transparent across our podcast and we can work with brands over time. And um, that is a recurring invoice via zero. Uh, and so they know every month. And that's in our contract with them up front. It's going to be on this day, you're going to receive it and this is the payment term. And you know that like the startups pay like that quick. Startups receive it, they pay it like that day or the next day. But then the big companies, like the public companies that we deal with, they can take like a month. Like, because you send it to the whoever you're working with and then says attention of and then they send it to their manager who then sends it to their financing team who then sends it to the payee person. Like we've worked with brands where they've paid us from Poland. Yeah. So Australian brands, but they have payment. I guess their team, the global brand is in Poland. And so you're trying to communicate across languages as well and they're asking you for things that you've never even heard of. And you're like, oh, I just don't know. <laughs> just pay the money, please. <laughs> so, so that's a big part and that's a super important part of what a lot of businesses do is invoicing so figure out how you can do that if you use things like if you take digital payments like e-com you can choose with stripe and paypal and all that if they pay it automatically to you because a lot of them like to hold on to it so they get the interest or if you manually do it so i used to be on this thing where paypal and stripe would pay us every 15 days but then i just changed it to manual so just wait for it to bank up and then pay it out in one big go and they've also improved their payment terms. They used to used to say send it and it'd be like three days later, you get it. But now it's like within a day, sometimes straight away. They're probably spewing about that. They're not collecting that interest. Well, now. they get to sit on the interest. <laughs> and that's, yeah. the, that's the key point here, guys. So <laughs> if you're listening, you're like, why would they do that? It's because they keep the money in their bank account. They'll earn the interest. And it also makes you sweat. So the power dynamic is at a play. Okay. So that's one way to help manage that kind of working capital. You're saying like, Three months of your expenses is ideal, but the expenses are going to be changing, most likely increasing over time. Got inflation, those types of things. So what are we talking about now? Like scale? Like how do you, so now we've got like funding your business day to day, like keeping like a float, having those, if someone doesn't pay you, those emergency expenses. What about scale? Who wants to define scale? Yeah, I think it's scaling is just preparing the business to grow to where you want it to grow to and like what that looks like. And again, that's different dependent on, what industry you're in. For industries where it's heavy on labor, so like you need staff, so you know a tradesman or a marketing agency, I guess it's dependent if you're outsourcing or not, but let's use the trade example where, you know, if I want to scale, I mm-hmm. need more hands. I need yeah. more labor. It's just different to a business where like a, a Shopify store or an e-com mm. where the costs involved aren't the same. So I guess scaling is where you can take on more work. You know, you've yeah. got the resources, the ability, staff, to take on more work. I always have this super anxious thing where we've talked about hiring. We're like, it's the worst pressure in the business when you have employees and you know you've got to put food on the table. That's the biggest one for me. And so 
everything that I try and do is to try and eliminate that financial anxiety. So like that's another reason why we have the long-term contracts with big brands, not just shitty brands that yeah. come in for four weeks and then disappear. Yeah. Like that is a lot of breathing room. Yeah, yeah. Even if it doesn't have to cover like all the running costs or all yeah. the wages, but just some of it to cover because then you have like the variable months where some months are good, some months are shit. And it just gives me that peace of mind that I know at least something's going to be there. That's it. And that sort of alleviates the stress from those shit months as well. Yeah. That's right. You can focus on actually doing things on the business, not sitting there stressing, oh, can I pay this guy's wage this week? Yeah. Where am I going to get the money from? So like the gold standard, I guess, for a lot of people is like having some visibility over what's coming up while also having the safety net of that, what I would call in personal finance an emergency fund. Yeah, emergency fund for the business, which is just like managing for the working capital that goes through. Because I think that's really where people get unstuck. I don't know if you guys think, yeah, you don't have to agree with me. Like, yeah. It's true. It's true. I think that's why like people like you you should, you know, approach your accountant and have that as an open discussion. But, you know, how much money should I be leaving in the account for that rainy day? And that's what we find with our guy, our clients that we have those conversations because it's really important when you're a business owner, you don't think, you just don't don't think about it sometimes. Mm. And, you know, you're just, you're trying to scale, you're trying to scale, you're outlaying money on staff, on more resources and you, you can forget about that working capital account and it, it becomes more risky because you go, you're going, you know what, I'll just keep a, a month worth of expenses. If something goes wrong, well, you, you can get, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sole sort of business owners, you need someone to call you out on that as well. Yeah. How are you supposed to know unless someone tells you? Especially yeah. if you're not, you know, specialized in a finance background. Yeah. How are you supposed to know? You know, if your accountant, your advisor is not sitting there saying, mate, you're running a $3 million operation. Why are you trading with $2,000 in your account? Yeah. Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Unless you've got someone that is honest, trustworthy, that's not there just to, you know, a yes man or a yes woman. Yeah, that's right. Just to make sure that the relationship's good and that you're happy with them on a personal level, you need someone there that can call you out on it. Yeah. Your accountant is in the best position to do so because he's the person looking at your accounts most frequently. Mm. And if the account's getting low, it's like, well, what's going on? Yeah. They can turn around and say, oh, I just bought XYZ or I just bought XYZ. It's sort of like, mm. why? What, did you need it? Because yeah. you've got wages coming out of $10,000 in two weeks' time, you know, they just paid them, for example, and you've got $2,000 in your account. Yeah. How are you going to be so certain that you're going to get paid within that 14-day period to make sure you can pay the next one. your staff, let alone all the other things that come out for a business? And that's the thing. If, if that payment that you're sort of banking on coming through, if that doesn't come through, well, you know, if you don't have personal money to inject into the business, yeah. well, you're going to tell your staff, sorry, can't pay this. Well, imagine week. that payment goes to Poland. Exactly. I remember when I interviewed Kate Morris on the show, she's the founder of Adore Beauty. And like for those listening that know Adore Beauty, like everyone knows Adore Beauty basically in the country. They do like online like skincare products and whatever. And you get a mini Tim Tam when it comes. It's awesome. And they went through like multiple periods where they had partnerships with Woolworths, they lost partnerships, they let go of staff, they hired staff and all this stuff, right? And she said she couldn't count like the amount of times that her and her partner who was involved in the business would just like cry the day before wages were due. Like literally they just had to like ask people for money to pay their employees and all this sort of stuff. And that's a, what went on to be like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of business. But that's kind of like where a lot of people get to. They just find themselves in that position. And there are other ways to scale your business, which we should call out too. It's not just about having the money and being prepared and having that visibility of like, who are you hiring? How much are your expenses? Where are you going? But you said like goals and objectives and all that sort of stuff. 
One thing that I've learned is uh, the hard way is hiring like really good people, not just like people that are, you know, transient. People that actually want to be here, they want to make a difference and they're bloody good at what they do. Because we talked about momentum in an episode not too long ago where if you lose momentum, you lose opportunity. And so for me, having a senior person walk in the door, they might take two days and they're up to scratch. A junior person might take three months and that's the difference. And you don't have to like be there. And not, I mean, no disrespect to junior people in hiring. They're awesome ways to when you want people that are junior into your business. There's, there's so many great things that they can do. But you're just going to be mindful of the give and take. Like, are they adding from day one? Or are they taking? Yeah. And it goes back to the opportunity cost because, you know, if you're to say, oh, you know, I can only afford a junior person. Well, really, because the amount of time you're going to have to invest into that person. And again, not to talk down on anyone, just given where people are at in their careers, a senior person, it can be a turnkey solution sometimes. Whereas the junior, yes, maybe it's, you know, 10, 20, $30,000 cheaper, whatever the cost is, but there's so much more time and there's so much more resources that need to go in into getting them up to scratch. And we're not talking a week or two, yeah. talking months, years. They're still yeah. early on in their career. So if scaling is what you're trying to do, sometimes it, it's not the right fit. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. juniors do come in really handy sometimes. But in order to get the most out of a junior, you probably need an incredible senior yeah. to be able to pass that knowledge down. So the owner can actually go out and run the company. Yeah. You'll need that special senior to be able to pass that knowledge down to the junior as well because junior staff are fantastic because you can mold them to your business a lot of times there's no experience there's no history they don't know any other way but your way yeah but it's really really important that you've got resources to get them there yeah and that's probably not always the best for a first hire Mm. you can be depending on your business don't get me wrong this is not a saying that you know if you hire a junior first you can't scale because you definitely can yeah but it's harder in my opinion especially if it's a sole person business if it's a one person band i guess like on daniel's example of having that senior to train the junior that senior is you yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> like it, yeah. you're investing that time you yeah. just added yourself another hat yeah. yeah now you're training and operations at the same time yeah, yeah. and you've got to make all the phone calls and you've got to you know do all the operations and take care of the, the check the workflow yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. make sure they're not sitting there going oh well, i've never done this before so i don't know what to do next whilst you're doing something in the media. Yeah. So it's yeah. important to just weigh up that that extra cost. And while it can be, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, sometimes you're better off paying it. Yeah. Because of the opportunity. But cost. you're not paying that twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars up front. Everyone's got to remember it is paid over a yeah. year, usually. Yeah. It's true. not like it's you have to fork out an extra twenty thousand dollars now. Yeah. It's maybe six hundred four, five, yeah. six hundred dollars yeah. a week. Yeah. I think we've got another episode upcoming where we'll talk about like how to incentivize people. But I was just chatting to you guys versus like there's another way that I, I've been thinking about this is like a friend of mine talks about like unicorns, the really rare people, like the extremely rare people who are just so unbelievably good at what they do and they come along. And this is the challenge for every business owner. But these people are so rare that you, when you find them, you have to do everything basically. You have to give them everything that they want. There's a quote that I talk about on the other podcast, which is, uh, tell me where I'm going to die and I won't go there. It's the ultimate incentive. So like Charlie Munger would say that from uh, Berkshire Hathaway. And the idea is like, if you find one of these people in the wild, you basically need to be quick to identify them. And you need to say to yourself, this person is special. 
I am going to pay more than I want to. And that is okay because, and for me, that looks like basically, we talked about this, unlimited upside in their wage. So they have to have some sort of incentive, financial incentive, that's like if they put in their talent, they will get out what they put in or more. And they want the security of knowing that they're going to get a wage regardless. That's what I find it works. Spot on. Most unicorns are usually the business owners at some point in time. They're usually the ones that go out and do it. So unless you're giving them an incentive which almost puts them into business owner territory in terms of responsibility and pay, then you're going to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also important to mention that everyone's different and sometimes money won't be the motivator. Good point. Given there's different personality types and people have different motivations, you might come across someone and, and, you know, money isn't the be all and end all. Maybe they want, you know, they just want to manage people or, you know. Work-life balance. Yeah. That might be really important. Four-day weeks. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I think it's really important not to just think if I pay them more, I'm going to get more out of people because it's not always true. Yeah. It's really important to be able to, yes, incentivize, but make sure you're, you're, I guess, not playing the person. That's the wrong the wrong way to say it, but you're adapting to the person that's in front of you. Yeah, identify their values. Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Identify their values. Exactly. Yeah, when I ask people, I when I do interviews with people, it's really like casual. So it might be like go to the pub, go to a restaurant, grab a coffee, but sit there and talk for two hours and just meander through all their different stories and whatever. Because... A lot of people aren't motivated by money. I'm someone who's definitely not motivated by money. Like I just seriously am not, which is bizarre because I work in finance. But um, <laughs> but I just don't, I couldn't care less. As long as I got enough to live, I am A-okay. Like I just, yeah, it does not motivate me. But the two people that I've looked to hire recently, they're like, nah. They said to me, one of them said to me like, you're not going to like that I say this, but I am 100% motivated by money. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. You know why I like that? Is because I know. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And they're yeah. honest as well. It's not yeah. like they're going to, you know, sugarcoat it between, oh, I value X, Y, Z. Yeah. Your values are this. My values are similar. Yeah. And, and then yeah. you're trying to, you know, cater for those values. And then they turn around saying, oh, I'm going somewhere else because they're paying me more. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, why'd you just not tell me that? I wait, we could have sorted something out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that pure motivation. You just got to know what that is. And that's where the incentive is. Like, what are you incentivized by? Well, let's focus on that thing. Um, some people like being in an office. And that's something that I always can't offer. Because I'm like, I, to be honest, I don't want to come in the office like two or three days a week. So if you want to see me every day, like as your manager, I'm not going to do that. And by the way, I'm not a good manager either. Like I just, when I say not a good manager, I literally, <laughs> I literally am like, yeah, do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Some people get really pissed off with that because they're like, oh no, I want direct feedback. I want you to like more micromanage me because that's how I get the best. And I'm like, to be honest, this comes back to scale that would probably slow me down. So I can't afford to give you that every moment of every day. Exactly. That's why it's important you're hiring for the role yeah. when you are trying to scale and you're not getting bogged down like that. Like if you're hiring someone and you need them to go out and um, drive revenue, you need money to be their motivator if you're going to attach an incentive to that. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if you're, if you're hiring someone True. that you want to drive revenue and, you know, they're not fussed about that, well, that's the wrong hire. So that's where it becomes important when you're scaling to hire for like the, the role. Yeah, and I think that's the main difference between like a unicorn and a good one because a good one can be great at their job, but they need constant direction. Yeah. Whereas a unicorn is more or less self-sufficient. You can put them into a position and they know what the outcome needs to be. They'll just make it happen. You don't even know how sometimes, but they'll make it happen. Whereas a good one, yes, the work will get done. It'll get done efficiently. It'll get done with a good time frame, but they need direction. 
They yeah. need to be told, this is where I needed you to get. This is how you get it there. And yeah. this is the time frame I need you to get it there. They need management versus yeah. unicorns do not. Yeah, it's just like, honestly, just as long as you're on the team, that's what we need. So, And that's for my industry where it's like pretty much like it's very narrowly focused. As in, it's not really like, if you think about like these particular roles are like around creating things. So like content or podcasts or videos or events or whatever they might be. It's not really about like, are you technically brilliant? It's are you creatively brilliant? Which if you go on and, and you get that type of person, you're like, yeah, like I want to put you in this box over here. They're going to be like, well, I'm not going to do my best work. So if you just like set them free and be like, there you go, go over that way and do whatever you want. They're going to be, that's how you're going to unleash them. So you just need to know. There was something that I did learn many years ago was that there are two things. One is like, I don't know if you guys agree with this, which is just like hire the best person for the job now. Don't wait for like the person, don't sacrifice is basically the thing. Like hire the best person. That's the first thing. And the second thing is there's often an adverse outcome from a variable incentive. So what I mean by this, like let's say you have someone you're like, you offer them 50 grand base salary and then you offer them 20% of sales that they bring in or something, right? There's often a consequence of that. And often the consequence can be, well, they just want new sales. So they they kind of don't really care about the customer. They just want this. So sometimes that you need like a second KPI or something else, like a business-wide KPI to step in. I don't know if you guys have any insight on that. Yeah. So I, I think with that as well, like you need to make sure that people don't get too greedy, especially if you're selling something and, you know, it's not a set price, but you're selling, I don't know if you're a, a tradesman or a, a media agency and there's no set price for something. If you have a salesperson and greed comes into it, yeah, true. That can leave a very bad, um, bad smell <laughs> on yeah. your business because they're like you're just trying. They're trying to make as much money as possible, as much money as possible. That can become a problem too. Well, they're focusing on the money, not the client. Yeah, right? yeah. the client's got to be the main focus. Here. The whole yeah. point for most businesses is to provide some type of help, whether it's to, you know, in Jordan's example, fix a drain. Our example, help your bottom line. There's an outcome, and the client's got to come first. It's not just sell, 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 revenue, 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 because that will slow down as your reputation starts going down that these businesses just money hungry. They yeah. don't care about you post-sale. Mm. I think car dealerships are a big sort of suckers for this, really. Mm. They're salesmen. Unbelievable. Touch points five minutes after. Yeah. You call them. As soon as you sign that contract, forget about it. You yeah. cannot find them. You cannot get a hold of them. All of a sudden, they're not at the office. They're not replying to emails. And your car is five weeks after what they told you it was yeah. going to be. They're, they're suckers for great customer service to begin with. And as soon as a contract, the money's paid, they disappear. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. So you just got to be mindful of that. One maybe final thing before we pull up stumps is uh, when you are trying to scale your business is just to understand how business units and costs and revenue move together. So some people don't know, like there's fixed costs. You might have rent every month. It might be the same for two years. That's kind of a fixed cost. You got to pay it. But there are other things that might be variable costs. And ideally what you want to do to scale your business well is you want to understand that how those two levers move. So if you get more people into the business, like more employees, does that make it more valuable or less valuable? It might be like you might have more turnover, more revenue, but you may not have that much more profit. So you've got to find ways like outsourcing administration functions overseas is a great idea for many businesses. Like data entry would be a great job to send overseas, which is cheaper and it can, you can put processes in place. But I often find what happens with trades in particular, you might, those might have this or maybe it's just my experience, is um, tradies often start a business and then they scale really quickly 
And then they're like, holy heck, this is a lot of stress. And it's not that much more profitable than if I just go back to myself and two other guys. Yeah. I have to find that. I don't know why. Yeah, it's true. I feel like it's the scale piece. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think in the tradie example, when they want to scale, again, back to a previous episode, it's not just the cost of the wage. There's so much more that goes on because they're they're heavily reliant on people yeah. to produce like the outcome. Industry, exactly. So yeah. in, when, when you're a service-based industry, as your revenue goes up, those costs are very high. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're we're talking about not just bringing on a person, but if we're incurring, you know, 80 grand, I'm not going to say, you know, it's not bad debt. It's good if you were to finance an asset for being the truck or the tools you need to produce the outcome. Like that's going to, in the short term, your bottom line is probably going to be in the negative once you depreciate that and whatnot. So it's really important that you understand how that works. Yes, your fixed costs are going to stay the same, your rent, marketing, all those fixed costs, but the variables change very quickly. Well, sometimes we've noticed that people don't factor in the fixed costs. Mm. They just price with direct and go, hey, I'm making 20% of this job. It's like, not really. Yeah. That's a really good example. What, what, That's something we've actually done quite recently. Yeah, it's is, like, who's paying for the other stuff? Yeah. It's not the client. It's coming out of your pocket. So you're not making 20% in every job. That's why come mm. end of the year, you're like, I've got no extra money. Yeah. So you mean like like you say, if you're like a builder, you're like, oh, I made, I've put a 20% profit margin on that project. But then you've got your office, you've got your cars, you've got your, all that other stuff that's not in that project. Is that that's what you mean? right. That's right. Fuel, registration, tolls, insurances, you know, works comp. And it's, it's also really important to identify that this isn't just for trades and construction businesses. Anyone who's charging cost plus, it, that's where they can go wrong. So what we do is we suggest to our clients is to have an hourly rate for your OPEX costs, so your, your fixed overheads. So that way when you're quoting a job, you're getting a really accurate price, a really accurate profit figure, sorry. Can you just backstep a bit and tell me what you mean by that? So like you're, instead of pricing a job and saying, it's going to cost 10 grand, so I'll do it for 12, there's my profit margin or something like that. Yeah. You're saying do it in an hourly cost. Yes, yeah, so, so what I'm saying is, let's say I have a job, I'm going to quote up that it's going to take me 10 hours and there's materials, I'll put a percentage on materials. And after I've done that, I'm going to be left with 20% profit. That's not true because what you're not accounting for are those things that Daniel said, the fuel, insurances. Accounting fees. (laughs) (laughs) Which are very generous. (laughs) Accounting fees, marketing, like all of those costs that just happen every day. You just tap in your card because, you know, tap, 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 just always happening. You're not accounting for any of that. So- Back to the example, if I think that job's going to take me 10 hours to do, I'll apply a fixed overhead cost per hour. Yep. So it's call it $10. I now know that all of my costs are now covered. It's not just my materials. It's not just my labor. It's everything. So you have to calculate that before you start pricing jobs and that yeah, sort of stuff. Periodically. You do it periodically because, you know, we've touched on this before. This is an ever-changing number as well. This isn't… Okay. As close of an estimate as you can get and slightly overestimate for the other costs as well. And something you need to build into your pricing models. And I think for all businesses, you need to understand costing. You really need to understand your pricing. Are you just pricing because your competitor priced like that? Or are you pricing with a direct intention to make a certain percentage I think a lot of people just do it because their competitor does that and then they try and undercut them a little bit so they can make yeah. money and then they go out of business. Yeah. That's yeah. why so many businesses fail. It's so true. I think it's really important that if there's, a, if there's a key takeaway, it's to account for those expenses that aren't directly related to a job. Yeah. Cool. 
we've covered a lot in this, guys. We've talked about working capital and how, like, just get that emergency fund. Make sure you kind of have a sense and you're constantly checking in with the expenses of your business. And then we talked about efficiencies and how you can scale business, the different types of people you want in your business, junior, senior, unicorns, good people. What are those incentives? What are the outcomes? You know, and how can you get your handle on projects and actual your profit margins? These all count because as you get bigger, you want to get more profitable. I mean, you guys gave me a story yesterday of someone who didn't even have a, it's a bit nerdy, but you didn't even, they didn't have a gross profit margin. So it meant that the bigger they got, the more sales they got, the more unprofitable they became because they didn't even know that they were losing money on every widget that they sold, let alone all the employee costs. So that's crazy. It's, and it's, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it all comes back to sort of understanding your own numbers, mm. you know, really sort of, you can't just go, oh, my accountant handles this. Yeah. Well, it, your accountant's not running your business for you. Yeah, it's your you, business. You need to understand it and you need to ask your client, oh, your, not your client, but your accountant, okay. like, you know, what does this mean? Where do I stand? How profitable am I? Okay, if I'm not that profitable, if I'm working off, you know, 5% mm. net profit from my gross revenue, how can I increase that? What am I doing wrong? Mm. Where can I find extra room, whether it's, Upselling to client, you know, current clients. And my rate's not high enough. Yeah. You know, am I charging the same as my competitor but delivering a product that's five times better? If that's the case, why are you sh- you're shorting yourself? If you're going to provide extra value, you need to price for that extra value as well. Mm. Might take you a little bit longer at first, but you got to do it. So if you want to get advice from either of these guys, you can head to Grayspace Advisory. There's a link in the show notes. Just click that. It takes you to a landing page. You can get a business health check. From Jordan, I'm going to say, just throwing him in yep. deep end here. Need to but change that. So Daniel will be getting <laughs> on that marketing. page. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows how that happened? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who set um, that up? Yeah. <laughs> but you can speak to these guys. They're based out of Sydney, but they work with clients and businesses all over the country. So get in touch with them. And uh, you can ask us a question by just clicking the ask a question link in the show notes. Uh, don't forget the free business course. If you're just getting started and you're getting off the ground, Go and check that out. It's heaps of resources, including HR templates and all that stuff you might want. That's all in the free course. Well, gents, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the RASC website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.